All right, here we go. So we're going to discuss this evening. We'll spend a f- um, some time, let's say half hour to 45 minutes, discussing various insights into the Haggadah. And then, you know, if there's any sort of conversation, and while I'm speaking, if anybody would like to chat some ideas, something they would like to share, or something that needs clarification into what we're discussing, uh, please uh, feel free to do so. So this class was titled uh, Insights into the Haggadah, and we'll see how far we get into the Haggadah itself, if at all, because one of the things that really need a tremendous amount of time and focus is sorry one of the things that needs a lot of time and focus before we even get to the Pesach Seder is what is my focus at the Seder what is it before we get to all the Divrei Torah and we're going to give some insights into the Seder not so much into the Haggadah itself because how to conduct the Seder and how to um, narrate the conversation at the Seder is very, very, uh, is, is uh, extremely important. So let's begin. Number one, why is it called Seder? The word Seder in Hebrew means order. Order. And we know that at the Pesach Seder, like we explained in the Halacha Shir, before the Seder even starts, we sing out the order, Kadesh or Chatz, right? We sing it all out beforehand. Why is such a holy night of the year for Jewish people called the word order? Why is it called Seder in the first place? So the Maharal Miprad explains, the Maharal explains that the reason why it's called Leil Seder, the Seder night, is because as we sit down to this holy meal, a person cannot be in a mindset that there's no order to everything that goes on to us as a people and to me as a person. Everything that has happened to us as Klal Yisrael, as a Jewish people, and every experience that has happened to me in my life has Seder. It has order. There's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's a God who oversaw this path that I am personally on. This Seder, this order of the parents that I was born to, the siblings that I've had, the jobs that I've been fired from or have been hired to, the schools that I have gone to, everything that I experience when I go to the store the people who I bump into is not just bumping into people. This is all orchestrated. It all has seder. It all has order. And so too, the Jewish nation in Egypt, the Jewish nation in Mitzrayim, and Yitzias Mitzrayim, and everything that's happened up until now has seder, has order. And I'm, we just mentioned this uh, recently, you know, in Shul, with Yimin Chamarav, one of the things that uh, that I pointed out with Yimin Chamarev is a very important idea. And that is, the Seder night is really 
not to be focused on Vertlich. It's not to be focused on, let me share 1,000 Divrei Torah, let me share 500 Divrei Torah. What is the purpose of the Pesach Seder? Says the Rambam in Hilchus Chometzu the seventh chapter, Perak Zion, the Rambam tells us that the mitzvah of the Seder night, there's two biblical commandments nowadays, matzah and to tell over the story of Mitzrayim. To say vertlach and divrei Torah, nice ideas are very nice, but it could be done any other time over Pesach. The mitzvah of the Pesach Seder is to talk about God, is to talk about how the Abishta fears develop, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is totally in control of every last iota that takes place. And we're, all we're supposed to talk about and focus on at the Pesach Seder is how does everything come around to Seder? How does it come, ala- how does it come around to God running this world in perfect order? And the Rambam quotes, I'll quote you the words of the Rambam. The Rambam says, Anybody who spends time, who spends time at the Seder about what happens, the story, the Yad Hashem, God's hand, through the time of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, finally going down to Egypt with the sale of Yosef, and how everything comes out to perfection, and we speak about how if not for Lavan, we speak about love in Arami, right? Laban. We talk about love in Arami. What's he got to do with anything? Because as we learned in Dafyomi recently, if Lavan, think about it, if Lavan would not have tricked Yaakov, and let's say Yaakov would not have married Leah instead of Rachel, how many tribes would we have in the Jewish nation? Two. Rachel had two children. Yosef and Benyamin. Now that Laban tricked Yaakov into marrying Leah, and then he had to marry Rachel, and then he took on Bilal, only because of that do we have all 12 tribes. So something that at the time seemed like, whoa, this is crazy, what's going on? Yaakov's tricked, what's happening? Where's the order? Where's the perfection? We sit down at our Pesach Seder and we talk about the perfection, God's perfection, God's Seder. Yes, Laban should not have done what he did, but look at how everything ultimately comes around to God's master plan. The brothers selling Yosef, Yosef being thrown into prison, these are terrible incidents. How can such a thing happen in the world? But look what happened because of that. Yosef ends up in Egypt. He ends up becoming the second in command because he was in prison and met the two chamberlains and interpreted their dream. Ultimately, he ended up becoming the king, uh, the second in command to Mitzrayim. Beforehand, like I never a 17-year-old kid, and it is sad that such a situation happened, but there's always Seder. This is what we're focusing on at the Seder. There's always order. That's Seder. There's God has this world running perfectly. We don't see it. As we're going to explain shortly. We don't see it. But we sit down and this meal on this holy night of the Pesach Seder, this meal is called Seder. God, what's my focus tonight? Not to share 500 Devrei Torah, but to focus on you. I know 
you're in control. Always. You always have been, you are, and you always will be. We can stop this right now. If we didn't want to share more insights, but this is really the Seder. This, is the, ha, this has to be the thrust of our conversations. And even the insights that we're going to share as we move along all need to be brought back to this idea. Because this is the Pesach Seder. Our focus is Hashem. God. God, we understand everything has order. Everything has perfection. Nothing is happenstance. There's a parable. You know, we can't, we don't have clarity. There's no way for us to understand, you know, the sequence of God's perfect order because we're limited. We're so limited in, in our uh, understanding as, uh, as human beings, right? We, we can't know everything that goes on. There's a parable given to somebody who walks into shul. Somebody walks into a shul and this is kind of like a, a it could be a cute joke, okay? But it's, it's, it's really a play on words where, uh, and towards the end of Ashrei, there's a verse that we say, there's a Pusik that we say, that Hashem, um, Hashem, uh, you know, takes care of us. Uh, Shomer Hashem, the second to last verse. Shomer Hashem es kol ohavav. Hashem guards all of the beloved ones. The es kol harishoim and all of the wicked ones, Yashmid. He destroys. Second to last verse in Ashrei. Now, the first word is Shomer. God protects who? As kol oavav, all all who are beloved. How does the verse end? The as kol and all of the wicked ones, Yashmid, will be destroyed. So here's the parable: a guy walks into shul, and he's there, and he decides to leave early. He happens to walk out by the second to last verse in Ashrei when the chazin is at the last word. So what does he hear? What is this fellow here, this man, this woman? What do they hear? God protects as kol ohavav all of those who are beloved as kol arishayim and all of the sinners. And the guy walks out. He's like thinking to himself, "Hey, why are why are both the righteous and the wicked in the same boat?" Well, uh, excuse me, because you didn't stay to hear the rest of the verse. If you stay to hear one more word of Yashmid, you'll realize that it's a different interpretation. And then on the, on the opposite side, on the flip side, you have somebody who walks into Shul late. He misses the first word of Shomer. So what does he hear? He hears, Kol kol God's going to destroy all of the tzaddikim and the wicked. And he's thinking to himself, what in the world's going on? Why is God uh, destroying the tzaddikim? What's the answer? Because you came late to Shul. <laughs> so you didn't hear the first part of the verse. What's the, what's the nimshal? What do you hear? I mean, what's the message of this? The message is that we as people only live at certain parts, at certain points. We don't always, and we usually don't know the first word. We don't know the beginning of the story. And very often, we don't know the last word. We don't hear the end of the story. So we don't really have a vision of what Seder is. We can't. And we're not expected to. Hashem doesn't expect us to know the perfect order of the world. 
But ultimately, we have to know that there is perfect order, and that is what Seder means, and that's why it's called Seder. Okay. Another idea. A second insight to notice. When we sit down at the Pesach Seder, there is no mention of Moshe Rabbeinu. Look at the Haggadah. Who took us out of Mitzrayim? Moshe led us out of Mitzrayim. Right? We, look, look in the Haggadah. You're not going to hear Moshe Rabbeinu's name. You're not going to see it. It's not there. What's going on? Why isn't Moshe Rabbeinu's name mentioned? The reason is the same theme. The same theme. It's fascinating. As human beings, we naturally tend to give an element, a certain amount of credit to people for their role in certain accomplishments. If we mention Moshe, it's going to be limiting our recognition that it was God and God alone that took us out of Mitzrayim. Moshe was Hashem's messenger. Moshe did not take us out of Mitzrayim at all. Moshe was God's intermediary, where Hashem instructs Moshe, you're the one who's going to merit to lead the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. But at the Pesach Seder, at the Seder, when all we're thinking about is Hashem and God's perfection as we prior to Egypt, while we were in Egypt, as we're coming out of Egypt, then in Yerushalayim, then in Eretz Yisrael, and then the next Golas, and back to the second temple, and now we're in this Golas for 2,000 years, and each of us are sitting here with the ability, Baruch Hashem, to breathe and to think. Everything is part of God's perfect order. There's no mention of Moshe, because there doesn't need to be. This is not about Moshe Rabbeinu. The Pesach Seder is each of us sitting down at that table and talking about the truth, which is God does everything. Everything else is just messengers. A doctor healed me. He didn't heal me. Hashem healed me. The doctor was the messenger of healing. That's a big schos. That's a big merit to be a messenger of God. But we don't mention any other credit because there really isn't. At the Pesach Seder, it's us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Mentioning Moshe Rabbeinu would be limiting that recognition. And look at the Agadah. You'll notice it this year. Moshe Rabbeinu's name. Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned at all. Okay. Another insight as we sit down to the Pesach Seder. And that is as follows. There was a, um, there's a story brought down from about the Spoiler Zayda. Okay? His name was Rabbi Aryeh Leib. Chassidish wasn't a Rebbe, but he was one of the earlier Chassidish greats. And he asked his son, he had a young son at his Seder, the Spoiler Zayda had a son. And he said to his son, 
as, as we start the Seder, please tell me what's going to be, what's going to happen. So the, the young child said, Kadesh, we say Kadesh. And he quotes the Chazal, he quotes the sages, which say, when do you make Kiddush? Says the child, he learned this in Cheder, he learned this in school. Kadesh, we start with Kiddush, when the Tate, when the father comes home from Shul, Tzorich Kadesh Miyad, you make Kiddush as soon as possible. You make Kiddush immediately. Kishahav, again, what are these words? It's important words in Hebrew. When the father comes home from shul, you make kiddush, you make sanctification immediately. So the spoiler Zayda asked his son, "Why? Why? Why do why do we make kiddush right away?" So the child says, "I don't know why. I'm not sure." That's what my teacher, that's what my Malamid taught me in school to say. That we make Kiddush as soon as the father comes home from shul. He didn't tell me why. So the Shpoiler Zayda tells his son, he says, that's, that's surprising to me. Because the end of that phrase is, why do you start Kiddush immediately? Because, So that the Tinokos, the children, don't fall asleep. That's why you got to make Kiddush right away so that people don't get too tired. They don't fall asleep. Okay. So he told his son what the Rebbe left out. The next day, the Shpoiler Zayda meets the Malamid. He meets the, his son's Rebbe, his teacher. And he says to him, why aren't you teaching the children the reasons? You, you taught my son beautifully that when the person comes home from shul, they sanctify Hashem, they make Kiddush immediately. Why didn't you tell them the reason is that the children don't fall asleep. So the Rebbe answered, it's because what happens if somebody doesn't have children, they don't need to start the Seder immediately. Okay? And I, that's what it would seem. That's what it would seem. It would seem that you don't need to start the Seder immediately. Okay? I thought that uh, it, it wouldn't apply if somebody doesn't have kids, and therefore I wanted to teach them, you know, I want to leave that part out. So the Shpoiler Zayda answered in a beautiful Hasidic fashion. Beautiful Hasidic fashion. And he told the Malamid, and this also comes back around to HaKadosh Baruch Hu being totally in control. And that is, he says, no, you're misreading the words. When we say, you know what this is talking about? A Jew goes to shul on Pesach night. And who are we with? Who do we sanctify in shul? Who, do we, who are we with? Who are we meeting? Hashem. We're meeting God. We're with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And then we come home. A person comes home following shul. And we need to sanctify Hashem immediately. We need to make Kiddush immediately. Making Kiddush doesn't mean, says the Shpoiler Zayda, saying the Kiddush with the Bayre Priyagafen, you know what it's referring to? It's referring to the children, every child in Klal Yisrael. That when a person is in shul, meeting directly with Hashem, and then we leave the walls of the synagogue, we leave the walls of the shul, and we walk into our homes, the holiness, that meeting that we have with Hashem, 
needs to be used and actualized immediately because as we go through Gullus, as we go through the exile, the Jewish children start to fall asleep. Referring to all of us. The further we are from the Beis HaMikdash, the more assimilation there is. The more we fall asleep, the more we forget to recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, whenever we have, we, we're affected and impacted by Kedusha, by holiness, Tzarech Lekadesh Miyad, you got to sanctify things immediately. Why? So that the Tinokos don't fall asleep. This is referring to every Jewish child so that all Jewish children do not fall asleep. Fall asleep from what? From realizing our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Okay. So these are all the focus and the mindset. What are we doing? We're sanctifying HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're recognizing the perfection. Again, the Seder and the Kedusha, making sure that we don't fall asleep, that we're tapped in to this beautiful holiness and all of God's, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's constant involvement and constant constant doing on behalf of all of us with the perfect order. Okay. Now we start the Pesach Seder. And we get to Kaddish. We recite Kiddush. What do we say in Kiddush? So, this year we have a number of blessings that we say in Kiddush, right? Because we're going to be making Havdalah since it's Matzah Shabbos as well. It's Saturday night. So, the Pesach Seder Kiddush is going to include the Havdalah of Shabbos. Look at your local sitter to uh, see how the whole thing is arranged in Yak Nahaz. Okay, the, the five blessings that are made in the proper order to make them. But there's a very interesting phrase, which is the main idea of the bracha of Pesach, Mekadesh Yisrael Vazmanim. The bracha that actually sanctifies Pesach is Mekadesh Yisrael Vazmanim, that the Jewish people and the time of Pesach should be sanctified. Listen to this unbelievable story. Unbelievable miser. So, following World War II, the Kleisenberger Rebbe, who was a survivor, he the first Seder after World War II, he, the Kleisberger Rebbe tells his Hasidim there's a question that's bothering him. This was his question. He's standing around, he's got all these Holocaust survivors around him. And he says, I don't understand, tonight is Pesach Seder. In Kiddush, we say, Baruch Hashem, Aleikeinu Melech Blessed are you Hashem, King of the world, the source of all brachos. Asher bachar banu mikalam who chose us from all the other nations of the world, and you elevated us amongst all the other tongues, and you sanctified with our mitzvahs, and you gave us this holy day, asked the Kleisenberger Rebbe to all the Holocaust survivors, how in the world can we standing here say that Hashem, that God has chosen us? After all the suffering that we went through in the camps, all of the pain and all the destruction, our families are gone. How do we know that Hashem still chooses us? Maybe there's a nation that's more precious to HaKadosh Baruch Hu than we are, and that's why we're suffering. And the Kleisenberger Rebbe looks around at everybody and he says, the answer to my question by looking at everybody is actually quite simple. And he says like this, when you see the way that the other nations of the world act 
and what they're capable of doing and what a Yid, a Jew, is capable of doing, when we see the difference between how a Yid reacts to situations and how a, a person who's not part of Klai Yisrael reacts to a situation, we can begin to understand what it means to be the Am Segula, to what it means to be part of, a, uh, part of Klai Yisrael. How so? Says the Kleiserberger Rebbe, when we say we're chosen amongst all the other nations, being a chosen people is not shown by how other people treat us. Just because the Nazis can do to us what they did has zero impact whatsoever on deciding whether we're a chosen people. Rather, you know how we know if we're the Amanivchar, if we're an elevated people and if we're chosen by Hashem? When we act towards others in a proper way, that's what makes somebody chosen. Being a victim says nothing about being chosen. It's how we act. If we would be the bullies, if God forbid the Jewish people would have acted like the Nazis, you're right. Then we would not be the chosen people. But just because there's another nation that can treat us like they did plays zero role in deciding whether I'm special or not. Being a victim does not minimize what a person is. It does not limit what a person is. Just the opposite. Sometimes the more broken a person is, the closer Hashem is to them. And therefore, when we stand there at Kiddush, at the Pesach Seder, and we say, God, you, Hashem, have chosen us amongst all the other nations, we have to think to ourselves, you know what? What a special opportunity. What a special opportunity we all have here, standing around at the Seder table. There's anti-Semitism. The world seems to have gone crazy, but guess what? It's not. God has a Seder. God has this all in order. There's perfection. And we as a nation act like a chosen people. And as long as we, me, my family, all of us, act the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects a Yid to act, Asher Bachar Banu, this is our pleasure, this is our opportunity, and it's our responsibility. Yes, we're chosen, but we also have to make sure to remind ourselves at the time of Kiddush as to what it means to be a chosen people. What it means. How we talk to each other at the Pesach Seder. Obviously away from the Pesach Seder, but at the, how, how we're dealing with each other how the conversation's running, what the focus of the Pesach Seder is, all has to be done in a way where we, we remind ourselves we're an Amanivchar, we are a chosen people. As we continue on in the Kiddush, we say, and this is the next insight, we say, we mention that this is a time, it's a holiday that is Moadim Simcha. Right? Moadim l'simcha, chagimuzmanim l'sasayin. What does mayadim l'simcha mean? It's a meeting of gladness. It's a meeting of joy. Mayadim l'simcha. What's the beauty of these words? What does it mean? Moadim l'simcha. It's a meeting of holiness. So the Mashkiach, Reb Chatzko Levenstein, explains that when good friends or best friends get together for lunch. When they have a set time for a meeting, 
it's a special time of intimacy. When you spend time with somebody that you've been sometimes a little too busy with other things to spend time with, we are, our only interest is each other. I'm not interested in what's going on, what the person at the next table is wearing. It doesn't matter. There's an interest in focusing on each other and growing on our relationship. This is the simcha of the Pesach Seder. Mayadim l'simcha. The word moed means a meeting. L'simcha of joy. Hashem, I am so happy to be at this meeting with you. All I'm going to focus on is you and all you're going to focus on is me and there's no greater joy than that. On a holiday, on a yomtif, it's moadim l'simcha. We are meeting Hashem with love. We are meeting Hashem with Ava and we are expressing our joy to be standing, whether it's in St. Louis, whether it's elsewhere, whether it's in Yerushalayim, Bez Hashem, we'll all be there with our carbon Pesach this year. This is a mayadim l'simcha. What a joy. What a zchus, what an honor, what a merit it is to be standing at the Pesach Seder in this special meeting with, uh, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay, that's Kiddush. Now, as we know, Kiddush is also the first of the four cups. There's four cups that we have at the Pesach Seder. It's four cups. Just to uh, introduce this next insight, I want to share a, uh, a humorous piece that I came across a few years ago. I may have shared it in shul. Uh, it's the type of thing that once I that uh, wh- as soon as I came across it, I was like, oh, I got to read this in shul. It's a it's a humorous piece, um, and it's called the humorous piece is called "How Not to Clean for Pesach." That's the title, "How Not to Clean for Pesach." And here's how it goes. Many of you may have seen this. I don't know how popular it is, or you know, but somebody sent this to me a few years ago. Here's how it goes. I keep 12 bottles of whiskey in my laundry room downstairs and my wife instructed me to empty out each bottle and pour it down the sink. So I proceeded with the task. I withdrew the cork from the first bottle of whiskey and poured the contents down the sink with the exception of one glass, which I drank. Okay. I extracted the cork from the second bottle and did likewise, poured it down the sink with the exception of one, of one glass, which I drank. I then withdrew the cork from the third bottle, poured the contents down the sink with the exception of one glass, which I drank. So he's drunk three cups. I then pulled the cork from the fourth sink and poured the bottle down the glass, which I drank. I pulled the bottle from the cork of the next one and drank one sink out of it and threw the rest down the glass. I pulled the sink out of the glass, poured the cork from the bottle, then the cork sink the glass, bottled the drink, and I drank the pour. When I finally had everything emptied out, I steadied the house with one hand, I counted up my bottles, my corks, my glasses, and my sinks, about which there was like 29, and I put the house in the bottle that I drank. Trust me, I'm not under the affluence of alcohol right now, but some think will peep I am. I'm not nearly half thunk as you might drink. I feel so feelish. The drinker I stand here, the longer I get. That's how some people clean for Pesach, all right? So that, that essay is titled How Not to Clean for Pesach. But here's what happened in this, here's what happened in this piece. 
The first three cups he did fine. He gets to the fourth cup, all of a sudden he's studying the house, he's drinking the sink, yeah, he's got his fourth cup, yeah, he's starting to get a little funkoos. So, what's with the Dalekaisis? What's with these four cups of wine that, uh, that we're drinking? So, Rav Shlaim Zalman Arbach, Zechreina Levracha, he says a, a fascinating idea, a beautiful thing. And he says, he says as follows. We know that the four, there's four cups to represent the four different expressions of geula, of redemption that we, that we went through. And it's supposed to be, we're supposed to use wine specifically, right? We drink wine. We don't eat four ice cream bars. We don't eat four chocolate bars, four bags of chips, right? That would be a lot easier, yeah? I could handle that. Four chocolate bars to commemorate the four redemptions, yeah? Some people prefer the wine. I'll eat a chocolate bar. Why is it specifically wine? Why is it four? Why is it wine? Okay? So Shlomo Zalman Arbach says a, a beautiful idea. He says, the four cups are not just four different expressions of freedom, of redemption. Rather, each cup adds, adds, to the freedom, to the redemption. For example, he says, the first cup is Vehotsesi. First, I will take you out of Egypt. Then once you're out, we're going to add on to that. Vihitsalti. I will not only, I will save you, not only are you out, I will save you. I'm going to take care of you. I might say, oh, it's enough that I'm out of prison. Right? I'm, I'm out. They're not whipping me anymore. No. Also, Vihitsalti. Don't worry. I got your back. I'll take care of you. That's an addition Vigo'alti, and I'm going to redeem you totally. You're going to be completely out, okay? You're going to be so far from them, from your previous enslavement, to a point where Vilakachti, you're going to be my family. I'm going to take you as a people. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God says to us as people, it's not just four different expressions of redemption. Each word of redemption is addition. It's furthering the freedom. Therefore, says Rosh Hashem Orbach, a beautiful thing. This is why there's four cups of wine. Because when you drink wine, the first cup and the second cup and the third cup and the fourth cup are different cups. When you drink the second cup of wine, it's not the same as when you drink the first cup. There's additional gladness when you drink the second cup. Now it's a two cups of wine that's in me. And then when you drink a third cup of wine, ah, it's even greater. And the fourth cup adds to the th- first three. If you eat four chocolate bars, all right. So eat the first one, delicious. The second one, delicious. The third one, my chin's on the floor. I'm already feeling like, all right. You know, you're not feeling any better. Just the opposite. It's usually the most geschmacka parts of it, of, a, of something, is when you start. By the time you get to the last few pieces, you're like, all right, you know, I'm pretty full, but I'll eat it because it's on my plate. Wine is the opposite. Wine represents the four additional steps. And that's why Cesar Shalim is on a beautiful idea. That's why it's represented with wine. Again, because wine adds one onto the next. And that's what happened with our Geula. Very nice thought, very nice idea. Okay. Another idea that I saw, beautiful insight that I saw about the four cups, about the Dalit Kosos, 
is, you know, what are these four cups? How does it represent different stages of our freedom? Why is it specific uh, wine? So I saw a beautiful idea. Listen to this. It's based off of a Gemara in, um, in Tractate Sanhedrin uh, 91a. Tzadi Aleph Amad Aleph. A very interesting Gemara. Okay? And here's the story that the Gemara brings down. Gemara says that the Egyptians took the Jews in a lawsuit in front of Alexander, Alexander Mokta. The Egyptians took the Jews, they sued us. How did they sue us? So Gemara Zahedrin says they took us in front of Alexander, the king, and they said, in the Torah of the Jews it says that we borrowed money from the Egyptians by Yisha'alu, which can be either be translated as asked or borrowed from the Egyptians the gold and the silver and they gave it to us. So the Egyptians said, we're asking for all the money back. It's time to repay. You took the stuff out of it. You, you, you took it. You stole it. You never brought it back. You Jews held on to it. Time to pay us back. Okay? Reparations. Pay back. We want you stole from us. What did we respond? In the opposite way. Who gets the reparations? Says the Gemara. Fascinating. The Chachamim said, the Jewish sages said, here, we'll tell you. If you're going to use our Torah, guess what? In our Torah it says as well, not only do we have the gold and silver from the Egyptians, but it says that the amount of years that the Jewish people dwelled in Egypt was 430 years. And therefore, what did we respond, says the Gemara? The, sage, the Jewish sages said, no problem. We'll return your money as long as you give us reparations of 600,000 males between the age of 20 and 60 working for 430 years. Well, you have a deal. You have a deal. That was, uh, that was our response. And the Egyptians couldn't, uh, they couldn't figure that out. They, they walked away. All right, you know, we win the case. What are they supposed to do? Okay? And um, the question is, and here's the insight. What type of answer is that? It's not true. We didn't end up in Mitzrayim for 430 years. As we know, Rashi tells us the 430 years that we dwelled in the land of Egypt really started from the time Hashem told Avram that in later generations his descendants are going to go down to Egypt. It didn't happen till later on. And by the way, this, this is not so commonly known. However, this, uh, um, what the sages teach us is the actual hard harsh labor that we did in Egypt was for a total of 86 years. Okay? We didn't work for 430 years. We were in Egypt for 210 years, but the hard labor actually totaled 86 years. And the way we know this, by the way, is because we know that Amram and Yocheved, the parents of Moshe, also had a daughter whose name was Miriam. They named her Miriam because that means the word mar in Hebrew means bitter. And when she was born, the bitterness of the Jewish people started. And Miriam was six years older than Moshe. Follow the math. Moshe was 80 when we left Egypt. That means Miriam was 86 when we left Egypt. So if the harsh labor started when she was born, maximum was 86 years. 
of harsh labor in Mitzrayim. Okay? So what we can ask on the Gemara, what type of response is this? What do you mean we responded to them? Oh, uh, what do you mean? You want the money? You, you give us reparations for 430 years. Not true. We only worked hard labor for 86 years. Okay? So here's the calculation. You ready? Here we go. The calculation works like this. I saw this in the Safer. It's brought down from the Safer Pardes David, um, who um, brings the words of the Chidah. He says like this, that actually we did work for 430 years. How does that pan out? How did we work for 430 years? Because when Hashem told Avram that there's going to be 430 years Really, it was referring to 430 years. This is a mathematical insight. You ready? Take notes. 430 years of 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60 working for 430 years. Okay? Now, how many men left Mitzrayim between the age of 20 and 60? 600,000. How many men between the age of 20 and 60 died right before we left Mitzrayim. Four-fifths of the, four-fifths of the Jewish people died during the Makas Hoshech, right? Four-fifths passed away. So 600,000 left. But there was an additional four-fifths that also worked, but just didn't merit, they didn't believe in Hashem enough, and they didn't merit to leave Mitzrayim. Only 20% of us left Egypt. So how many people actually worked for the Mitzrim? How many 600,000 men actually worked for the Mitzrim for 86 years? 600,000 times 5. 600,000 times 5. Okay? If you do the math, what comes out is that 600,086 times 5, 600,000 times five, worked for 86 years. Well, if the whole decree was that 600,000 men will work for 430 men, will work for 430 years, guess what? 600,000 men worked for 430 years. Because 86 times five is 430. And therefore, 86 times one, 80, in other words, 80, 86 years of 600,000 men, times that by five, we actually did all the work of 430 years. And that's another way to, uh, and that's another way to calculate um, uh, to calculate those numbers. So why is this important? Listen to how this comes full circle. The numerical value of the word kos, the word cup, is what's kos? Chaf is twenty. Vav is 6, Samach is 60, 86. So, the four cups represent the four-fifths of people that worked in Mitzrayim as well and didn't make it out. And we're, we're uh, mentioning those four-fifths actually helped bring the Geula. They helped bring the redemption. This is the four stages of the Geula. Because of their work during those 86 years, because the additional four-fifths of the Jewish people worked, during those 86 years, we're drinking the four kos, four kosos, the four cups. 
to represent this Gemara and Sanhedrin that all of the work actually uh, actually was done. Okay. That's the, uh, that's the mathematical idea. We're already at 46 minutes. Uh, it's taking a little longer. Let me just share a couple more insights and then we'll, we'll open the floor. Okay? Now, again, obviously I want to bring this all back around. Why is this unbelievable? Not only because the numbers and how everything works out perfectly, but this is Hashem. This is the Yad Hashem. When I could just, this is Hashem's perfect order. When people look at 86, okay, 86, what happened? The fourth is No. There's perfection to everything that's happening. HaKadosh Baruch who's running things perfectly. Sometimes we have insight into ultimately figure out how it all makes sense, and sometimes we won't. But Hashem, the Ebesh fears developed, HaKadosh Baruch who's in total control of everything that's going on. And again, this has to be the story of the Pesach Seder. Everything we share has to come back to the Ebesh fears developed, HaKadosh Baruch who God is running the show at all times. Okay. After Kadesh, we wash our hands. We have Karpas. Previous, previous years, we focused on Karpas. I want to focus on a couple ideas um, a little bit after that, and that is Yachatz. Okay? Yachatz is we break the middle matzah. We break the middle matzah. The question is, why do we break? We know why we break a matzah, right? Because we want Lechem Oni. We want a poor man's bread, which means a morsel, a piece. Why do we break the middle one specifically? Why is it important that we break um, that we break the middle one specifically? So I'd like to share a beautiful idea that uh, that I came across, and that is as follows: We quoted in Shul a few. Uh, I think I said one of the last drushes I gave before COVID uh, started is uh, we quoted a Gemara, which says Gemara and Shabbos. Petes Amud Beis. Okay? 89b. The Gemara Shabbos says, what does it mean? Hashem tells us in uh, the prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, says, uh, the Jewish nation says to Hashem, Ki atav, uh, we, we say to Yitzchak, you're our father, Avram doesn't know us, Yaakov doesn't remember us, you, Yitzchak, are our father. What, you know, we, we say, Isaac, you're our father. What does that mean? So listen to the story the Gemara tells over. The Gemara says like this. God, we sinned. And this is talking about now, in the times of Mashiach, the Jewish nation is going to be going through such a difficult time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to say, listen, these people need help. I'm going to go to the forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and ask them what to do. How do I handle this? So Hashem, says the Gemara. Hashem goes to Avram. And Hashem says, Your children, Avram, your children are sinning. Avram's going to say, Hashem, I have no response. Maybe you need to destroy them. I'm not sure. I don't know what to say. Hashem says, oh, I'm not taking that answer. Then Hashem goes to Yaakov. And Hashem says to, uh, Hashem says, I'm going to go to Yaakov. You know, he had issues raising his 12 kids. They were fighting. Uh, maybe he'll be able to handle, uh, you know, maybe he'll stand up for the Jewish people. God's looking for somebody to stand up for us. He goes to Yaakov. Yaakov, your children sin. Yaakov says, uh, you know, I, I really don't know what to say. If it's so terrible, maybe you got to get rid of them. And Hashem says, no, the grandfather is not giving me good advice. The grandson is not giving me good advice. Let me go to Yitzchak. So Hashem goes to Yitzchak and he says, your children are sinning. Yitzchak says to God, my kids? My kids are sinning? Your kids are sinning. 
they're your kids just as much as they're my kids. It says in the Torah that, uh, that uh, uh, right, your children to Hashem. Why are you blaming it all on me? And Yitzchak continues on, and he goes through a whole mathematical equation. He says, and how much sinning are they doing anyway? Come on. Uh, you know, he says, you know, David HaMelech tells us that a full life is 70 years. Um, 20 of those years... Uh, don't count. The first 20 years, people aren't held accountable for their sins in heaven. So now they're down to 50. Uh, take off another 15 years where people are sleeping. So you're down to 35 years. Take out more years than not the people are in the bathroom. They're not sitting then. Take out the years that people are eating. Finally, he says, you know what? After all these years, you know how many years are left that they could possibly sin in their lifetime? 12 years, Yitzchak tells Hashem. He goes through a whole equation. 12 years, he says, God, I'll tell you what, they're my kids, well, they're your kids too, I'll take six years of responsibility per Jew, you take six years of responsibility per Jew, we'll call it a deal. That's what Yitzchak tells, uh, that's what Yitzchak says back to Hashem, and upon hearing this, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepts this answer. Okay? HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepts this answer. The question is, why didn't Avram, the older one, and Yaakov, the younger one, why didn't they answer anything? Why didn't they answer? Okay? So, there's some fascinating ideas brought down by the Rishonim. I don't want to get into it now. It's some beautiful ideas that has to do with halachas of a bezdin. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are three people. They represent the judges. You're supposed to have three judges on the panel. The rule is if all three people obligate somebody, if all three judges obligate somebody, he actually gets off the hook. Avram and Yaakov were saying, they were, take, they were calculating that it's better for us all to say that Jewish people should be obligated and this way they'll get off the hook. That way, they had all sorts of calculations. They weren't trying to get us in trouble. There's all sorts of, of calculations uh, for this. But be it as it may, who stood up for us to bring the Geula? Who's going to bring the Geula? Yitzchak. Who's Yitzchak? The middle matzah. Avram on top, Yitzchak in middle, Yaakov on bottom. And therefore, we take, we break the middle matzah. What did Yitzchak say to God? What did Isaac say to Hashem? Half on me, half on you. Six years for me, six years for you. That's what we're breaking it in half. And we're saying it should be in the merit of Yitzchak's response that we should come out of this redemption we should come out of this, goes, this is the bread. Yes, we may be poor from mitzvot. Yes, maybe we're not perfect. We may think we're wicked. But you know what? Yitzchak also had a son who was wicked. He had a son, Esau, and he held on to him. And we're holding up this matzah. And we're saying, God, you always hold on to us. And it should be in the merit of Yitzchak that no matter how we're doing throughout the year, we still love you, we care about you, we want to be in a relationship with you. And we're holding up this matzah in, in, within a mitzvah. To show you how much we value this relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the, that paragraph that we recite is Hashata Right? That this year we're here, but next year we plan on being even closer. Uh, we plan on being even closer to you in uh, with you in Yerushalayim. Okay. That uh, that that explains the that explains the middle matzah and the. But what I'll call it is the um, area of insight. You can go on and on. We barely made it 
Tayachatz. I want to share one interesting thing on the Afikomen, and then I'll and then I'll hold it. Too much talking for me, right? But this is a, a beautiful shaila, a beautiful question about the, the Afikomen. Always strikes me strikes me as odd. What are you stealing for? A lot of gedolim don't like this. You steal the Afikomen. The kids should get into a fight and argue and steal. A, a lot of people, a lot of gedolim aren't into this. Okay, Rebel Yashiv, Shlemizalman. There are people that hold it's a problematic minhag. It's a problematic custom. There are others that say, no, absolutely not. It's either brought down in the Rishayim. This is a proper thing to do. And the reason why we do it is to keep excitement taking place at the Pesach Seder, to keep, keep the children up. But listen to this Shaila, this question that was sent to Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein. He says like this. This guy writes in, he says, Bibayashalanu in our house, we have a custom to steal the Afikomen. And my father gives out expensive Afikomen present. My father gives out expensive Afikomen presents to whoever gets the Afikomen. Who, only whoever gets it. He says, I know there's a lot of Rabbanim, a lot of Gedolim that don't go for this. And therefore, I personally, he's obviously an older son, says, I personally, you know, I don't say anything to my father about this minug. It seems to me like I, I just don't like the whole feel of it. I don't get involved in stealing the Afikomen. I let my siblings you know, steal it and, uh, you know, and get their price. Ach, however, he writes, this year, I know I know my, my family is not doing well financially. I know my father's having a tough year financially. And it's very hard for him to keep up to the standards that he's been offering us children previously. And therefore, he asked me, Zilberstein, what I would like to do is, Steal the Afikomen this year. And when it comes my turn for the Afikomen, I'll say, Pops, for Afikomen, I want you to learn Torah with me for an hour a week. That's what you could give me. This way, I know my father could do that. My sibling is going to ask for a $500 Xbox. A segue. I'll ask my father for an hour of Torah as a Harusa. I know it'll give him nachas. I'll save him money that he can't afford. He had this beautiful question from a kid. He's asked, sending in this question, what's the, you know, should I change from my regular custom? Great, great question. So Rabbi Yusuf Zilberstein responded to him as follows. And he says that anybody who has a custom to steal the afikomen and do all this at their Pesach Seder, they should certainly continue to do so it's an old custom that people have. And if a person has that custom, they should keep that custom. However, my father-in-law, Rabbi Yoshev Zatzal, did not have this custom. And he was concerned, he writes to this, he writes to this young man, he says, my father Rabbi Yoshev was concerned that the whole thing was still in the Afikomen would make children ruggle, would make them accustomed to, if they take this, maybe they feel they could take other things that they're not supposed to uh, put their hands on. And therefore, in his family, he did away with it. But he says, you should know, there's a custom, there's background for this, uh, for this minag. He proved it from the, there's a Gemara in Pesachim, that on Daf Kuftes, page 109, that those of us who've been learning Daf Yomi, we made a seal on Pesachim, Mazel Tov to everybody who finished tonight. Uh, But uh, 12 days ago, on page 109 in Pesachim Kuftes, it says, Chotfim Matzas Blele Pesachim, that you, we hide matzahs at the Pesach Seder so that the children shouldn't fall asleep. 
right? You, you play games with kids, okay? And, um, and uh, the Rambam writes, it changes from hand to hand. The Maharam says, Gozlin Mizelazel, we steal it one from another. It's all kibitzing. It's all part of the Pesach Seder. So he says there's certainly sources for this custom. If a person has that custom, keep it up. However, if a person has stopped this custom, they should not start it. You shouldn't start it because there's enough sources, besides for my father-in-law, the Chavis Yoyer writes that, there's, that he actually held that people should stop this whole custom. Um, and he held that this whole, uh, this whole custom... Uh, this whole custom was a mistake. So he says there's really two uh, polarizing opinions. Some hold that it's really the right thing to do, and others say that if you don't do it, it's really the wrong thing to do. Says Rabbi Yitzhak Zilberstein like this. He says, if you stopped this custom, sometimes, it's a very deep thing, he says, sometimes the Yetzer Hara comes to us with valid excuses as to why we should start doing things that we really know are wrong. And ultimately, he catches us a little bit, and then it keeps going. So he says, same thing with, he tells this boy, he says, same thing with Avikomen. If the reason why you stopped the custom for yourself, and you chose, and your father is fine with it, obviously, that you just don't get involved, even though you're trying to be nice to your folks, Financially, it's not worth it for you. It's not worth it for you to, you know, if you were concerned about it, that maybe it's not arousing the best midos. So then for you to actually, he posked for him, for this young boy, you shouldn't restart. You'll start making all sorts of calculations with this. Then your mind will start making calculations for other things. It's worthwhile to have this boundary, to have this gather, and uh, actually to, to not steal the afikomen. Very uh, a beautiful question, with a uh, with a beautiful response, a very uh, a very interesting response. But we do know that from this middle matzah that we break, so we take one part of it and we do set aside as afikomen. If somebody has this custom, keep it up, keep uh, uh, keep it going. But it is nice to know the two sides of this conversation. Okay, we'll hold it here for this evening. We're at an hour now. If anybody would like to share their own insights, um, please uh, unmute yourself. Feel free to chat on the chat uh, and uh, please do so.